0: Hey, friends, and welcome back to Health Simple Radio. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Andy Galpin. He is just an incredibly smart dude. He's got a master's in human movement sciences, a PhD in human bioenergetics. He's the professor at the Center for Sport Performance at CSU Fullerton. Uh, Let's see, he's written a book or co-authored a book uh, called Unplugged, Evolve from Technology to Upgrade Your Fitness, Performance, and Consciousness. He does a ton of research and today he's joining us to talk about something that most of us probably have right now on our wrist or maybe on our finger or somewhere else and that's some sort of tracking device. Um, You know, it's 2019 and I bet that you're probably tracking either your calories, your steps, maybe your heart rate, your sleep, whatever it is, we're all tracking something. And have you ever asked yourself, How accurate are these devices? Do they actually give the information that you need? Well, Andy has done that, and he's gone and met with all the companies that, many of the companies anyway, that um, we use their devices and been a part of these labs and and the design phases of these products. And he's going to provide some insight on how accurate these devices really are and how we can best use them to help improve our health and our performance. Now, more importantly, Andy's going to discuss how we can reconnect with our own body and mind uh, to optimize our training and our nutrition and, and other areas of health without relying on these devices. Yes, they can be helpful, but we need to find ways to integrate technology into our own lives without eliminating our own intuition. This is the beauty of being a human, is we have this. So we want to combine the two together, and that's what this episode is going to be all about. So uh, it's it's a really interesting episode. Uh, so I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. Before we do, I just have a quick announcement. Uh, if you are someone who enjoys a glass of wine at night or during the day, if that's if that's what tickles your fancy, then you need to look into dry farm wines. Okay, and this is only for those who are in the U.S. Sorry, everyone else. But Dry Farm Wines is one of the only all-natural, lab-tested, organic, um, naturally fermented wines on the planet, okay? They have different brands, different types of wines, but they get it from specific um, wine farms from around the world, mainly in Europe. Uh, But these are really high-quality, low-alcohol and low-sugar wines. So if you're ketogenic, paleo, you're know you trying to lose weight, these wines are absolutely perfect for that. Um, And they also taste absolutely amazing. They've done an unreal job, and what's great is you just order these these wines online and they just ship a box uh, to your home. Now, what's really cool is if you click the link below, which I'm gonna have in the show notes, uh, depending on what platform you're looking for, they'll be there, it'll be available in a link. You'll get your first uh, bottle free on your first order. Or sorry, it's not free, it's 99 cents. So it's basically free, but um, I wanna make sure I'm accurate in what I tell you. So 99 cents for a bottle on your first order. So click the link, check out the wines. Uh, I promise you, you're gonna enjoy them and they are awesome for your health as long as you don't overdo it. A glass or two is okay. All right guys, enjoy this episode. Andy, first, welcome to the show, and why don't you just start off by giving us uh, a little bit of an explanation of your background and what got you into uh, this area of of science and and research?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so in the United States out here. I'm a country kid, so I'm from a very rural uh, logging kind of area, and so I played every sport imaginable. I was fortunate enough to play college football and get a degree in in naturalized science. And I would say the reason I got into the field in terms of science and fitness and stuff is simply because I was kind of at that perfect level in terms of an athlete where I was good enough to where doing things better uh, made a big transfer. So training better, eating better, recovering better meant I actually performed better on the field and, and had better success. But I wasn't so good. that that stuff didn't matter so if you're too terrible at the stuff and you you're not incentivized because you're too far away but if you're too good you're also not incentivized either so Mm. I was decent enough but not tremendous and so I had you know good success in high school but not earth-shattering and good success in college but not you know not NFL stuff so um, it made me always interested in training the best I possibly could and and learning more and of course just being a curious person I want to learn not just how to exercise and how to eat but why and the physiology and so that really mm-hmm. just carried through in terms of like it's what i did for 10 or 15 years and, and i once i realized my gosh i can make a profession and a career off of doing the same stuff that i'm just doing anyways well then like sign me up
0: yeah absolutely what uh so so nowadays um you know what kind of research are, are you currently doing is there do you have anything that's going on at the moment or, or where's your head <laughs> at now
1: Oh boy, um, what, do, what do we not have going on?
0: <laughs> so
1: it's kind of complicated because I'm probably not uh, the traditional scientist in these areas. Um, I, I am really uh, a scientist technically, but uh, I teach, I do a lot of public outreach. So you'll hear me on a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a lot of interviews and magazine stuff. And that's because one of my goals and primary missions. In My career is to make sure that we can disseminate the scientific information. We have the people that actually need to and, and want to implement it. So a third prong of what I do besides You know teaching and research is actually working with athletes directly. So I spend a bit of my time in the laboratories um, I am the director of what's called the center for sport performance here. So within that we've got seven different research labs that exercise physiology biomechanics, motor control, muscle physiology, et cetera, et cetera. So at any given time, we've probably got 20 to 30 different studies running in the center. Wow. So I'm kind of juggling all of that, juggling my own stuff, and and then trying to take what we learn and communicating it to, to individuals and then also implementing it with athletes. So mm-hmm. I sort of chuckle when you ask do we have any research going on now it's like yes <laughs> and every literally every second of the day we have research going on it's just sort of a matter of which area you want to mo- want to talk about the most we've got a whole host of trials at different stages some being written up some of them just being started some of them in the middle of data collection so really all over the place
0: diving into to all the different areas which uh you know which is pretty cool now you also uh somehow found time after doing all that to to write a book as well uh the book is called unplugged evolved from technology upgrade your fitness performance and consciousness uh, what was it that triggered you to to write a book on this topic
1: uh brian mckenzie that's brian. that's a quick answer so if you're familiar with brian's work at uh, power speed endurance or art of breath uh, he's also the um, you know, one of the co-authors on the book, and he's he the one that came to me with the idea. And the reason, the rationale really was, Brian is a, is a coach. He's a, a true full-time innovator, and I'm a scientist, kind of pseudo-coaches on the side.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so he thought it'd be very interesting to put together a book where we can have both perspectives come together, and you can see the overlap of the scientist and the practitioner. And Really, um, (laughs) that the book came about because Brian and I bitching and whining to each other too much. (laughs) That's the truth. Uh and I mean he just got frustrated with one particular instance with he was working with an endurance athlete and the athlete was obsessed with tracking his heart rate. Mm. And Brian and he were out for a run and they were working on stuff and the athlete was like, No, I can't go over whatever the heart rate was, like one sixty or something. And they were running at like one hundred fifty eight and Brian's like how can you say that when you like, we're literally running, you're at 158. And if you have the gas to tell me you can't go up two more beats, like you have the gas to do it. Like, what are you talking about? So he ranted and raved to me about that. And then I started ranting and raving to him about all kinds of this stuff I was dealing with in the field. And he was just like, no man, we, we need to put a stance on there because technologies within the fitness industry are only um, growing exponentially and we're not going to win that battle. And so I think what would be helpful, we thought what would be helpful is to put together a framework for people that can understand well, these things aren't bad for us. Um, they're certainly very helpful. I'm, I'm a big proponent of technology. I mean, we're using it right now. It's, it's helping, although the internet connection was kind of irritating earlier. <laughs> but uh, point being, you're in Bali. I'm in California. Like We're talking basically immediately. This is awesome, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But
1: we need to give people uh, some scaffolding to say, okay, here's the pro, here's the con, and now you can use these things more appropriately and to get more out of them and don't fall into the problems that some of these, a lot of these fitness technologies have. So that's why we decided to write the book. And um, to this day in my career, it's without question the most positive feedback I've ever gotten on anything I've ever done. So it mm-hmm. seems to have really resounded with a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And you know what, it's a very interesting topic. And, you know, as you said, uh, technology, especially in the, in the health space or the fitness space is becoming, you know, really, really popular everywhere you go. You see people wearing, you know, Apple watches or Fitbits Mm -hmm. or, you know, I've got an aura ring on right now. Um, you know, everyone seems to be tracking something to do with their health. So let's dive into that a little bit. What, what value um, do you see in this sort of technology? Is this, are they as accurate as we, I guess, hope they are? Or did you guys kind of dive into, um, dive into that realm as well?
1: Okay, so there's a couple of questions in there. Number one, accuracy. Two, how can we use them? Well, Uh, I'll I'll keep it short in the accuracy, and we can maybe spend more time on how to to use these things well. Okay. But if you look across the literature, um, virtually all of these tracking technologies are very poor with their accuracy. Uh, They tend to be fairly reliable, which means they'll give you the same kind of number over and over again, but they're not necessarily calibrated to what's actually happening to you physiologically. And where they get particularly incorrect is at higher intensities. Hmm. Which is probably the thing you care more about so like i'm not super concerned if my resting heart rate is 40 or 42 but i am concerned if my heart's at 180 versus 170. that, that probably matters and so some of them are okay but, uh, but if you look again you can find individual studies showing both sides but if you look at the breadth of literature on almost all of these technologies including apple including um, fitbit uh, which dominate the space mm-hmm. uh, the 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 accuracy is very, very poor with those devices. So number one, one of our major messages is, okay, that doesn't mean I'm against these things. I'm not saying throw your Fitbit away, but I am saying you have to still use your fucking brain. Mm -hmm. Don't take everything those things say as absolute infallible deities because they're not totally accurate. And depending on how you're using it, that may or may not matter. And so really I put the onus back on you as the individual, and, and that's really one of the major messages of our book. It's not, it's not the technology's fault. per se. It's your fault for thinking that this, you know, quote unquote, smart technology is smarter than your brain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's really not. I'm telling you, I've, I've been in the back rooms of these companies. Uh, I know how they're built. I know the algorithms. I know what happens behind them. And you don't have a team of exercise physiologists putting together an algorithm. You have a team of software engineers from MIT. Mm-hmm. And they're very good at software, but they don't understand anything about physiology for the most part. So, like, you're not getting tremendous training advice from really well-established exercise physiologist. You're getting very crude recommendations. So, uh, in terms of accuracy, that's kind of where it's at as, as a global scale. So, it kind of led into the second thing already, which is, well, how can you use some of these things? There are a ton of benefits. Um, one good example, I think, is, is general calibration. So, what I mean by that is, it is sometimes very helpful if you're working with an individual or yourself. And you want to say something like, hey, uh, I th- you know, you're working out really hard. You're eating great, but you're not losing weight. Well, I think it's maybe because you're really physically inactive. So you're working out really hard for an hour, but then you're sitting for 23 hours. Mm-hmm. So what I want to work on is maybe increasing your physical activity a little bit. And so how we're going to track that is, we'll just track how many steps you take a day. So it doesn't really matter if you took 11,000 steps and, and the machine said you took 12,000. Who really cares? What you're trying to figure out is, are you taking 2,000 or are you taking 10,000? And if you ask the average person, they wouldn't really have any clue. They would be poorly calibrated to how physically active they actually are. And so I think things like technology, if it's slightly off by 10, 15%, who really cares? It might help you calibrate yourself to being like, man, I thought I was pretty active, but really, really, I'm actually really inactive throughout the day. And that can help people become more calibrated to what's realistic and, and it's more objective because the app doesn't care. Like it, it doesn't take your excuses. It doesn't, none of that matters to the app. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's one of five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 things I could say where, Hey, these things are actually really good. Um, if they're objective, they don't, <laughs> there's no negotiation with them. There's no, you know, excuses. So those are all very positive aspects with these technologies.
0: Are, you know, so I use the Aura Ring myself. Um, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with it or if you, if you sure. have it as yeah, well. Um, I mean, it's at low intensities. It's while you're sleeping. So, I mean, that's, that's the, I think, a good thing about it. Um, but what I, what I try to take into account with it is, I mean, it gives you your heart rate, your heart rate variability, uh, et cetera, where you're sleeping. But then it also does the algor- algorithms and tells you your readiness score. So how well you recovered based off all that stuff. I don't really take into account that very much. I think most people do. I know a lot of clients that I have that have this, they are really concerned about that score. Whereas I kind of just go, okay, well, what's the data say on the heart rate, the heart rate variability, and just keep an eye on that for recovery rather than what the algorithms are actually saying. Do you find that that would be a more accurate way of looking at these devices or not so much?
1: Well, I would say first and foremost, it depends on who's using it. So one of the things that we emphasize a lot is, a major problem that happens with any of these technologies is don't collect data that you don't have time to analyze. So if you are work with a client, say a CEO or executive, or just a busy person, a parent, and you have them, you're asking them to track these numbers and report them to you or keep, pay attention to them themselves. Well, if they don't actually have the time to sit down and think through these recovery scores and then actually do something different with their workouts, if they're not going to do anything actionable then it's completely wasted. Mm-hmm. And, and actually what it, the data actually shows is this tends to drive more negative behavior because people get frustrated. They get anxiety. They get like, shit, like, man, I was going to work out today, but my score says I'm not going to. So I'm not going to. And in the opposite, well, like I've been trying really, really hard, but the numbers are not going down and nothing's getting any better to hell with that. I'm just giving up. And mm-hmm. the, the, the research suggests that's actually happening more than the opposite. So it tends to demotivate people more than it motivates people. Interesting. So having said that, yeah, if you are like, "Hey, I personally like it; it motivates me; I stay on track better," then I would say, then definitely keep doing it. But at the same breath, if somebody's saying to you or having problems or going like, "Man, like this is it's too much work," or "I'm not like," then you need to listen to that person and and say, "Okay, well, boom." This is not a client I would implement it with. So I think it's, you need to think about your client, think about their personality, think about yourself if you're using it with you. And like, is this something that's jiving and helping you get to the bigger goal? Because too often people get, it's what I call it getting lost in the thing. It's like you get so wrapped up in the thing, the HRV score or the heart rate score, mm-hmm. you forgot about why you care about the HRV score in the first place, which is you'd probably try, you're probably not training somebody to get an improved HRV score probably training them to lose weight to feel better to get in better shape so mm-hmm. like don't let the little thing get lost in the bigger thing if the little thing is helping the bigger thing keep using it if it's not though like don't make that be the actual center where you're training everything and you're, you're changing their diet you're changing their exercise plans to fix the score if it's not actually fixing the bigger thing or if the bigger thing was doing fine in the first place mm-hmm. so i wouldn't say it's more or less accurate i would say for a person like you seems to be handling it fine. Fantastic. If somebody's not responding well to it, then then, then don't use it or, or use something else.
0: Yeah. So definitely. I
1: don't I feel like you, I answered your question, but that, that's my answer. Uh,
0: you know, I think it was a great answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So I'm sure in your in your labs, you guys are using a ton of technology that hopefully is is quite accurate and probably more accurate than the devices that we're walking around wearing on a daily basis. I don't know if you guys know this at all, but what do you know? What the limiting factors are of the devices that we're wearing? So let's say with the Apple Watches, the Fitbits. Do we know the, uh, you know, what technology we don't yet have or what we need in order to get them more accurate?
1: Yes. So that's a, you know, this book came out, um, you know, well over a year ago, and I've done dozens, if not hundreds, of podcasts. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. Oh, sweet. So, fantastic job to you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It's,
1: it's a really good question. Uh, yes, some of it we know, some of it we don't know. Um, number one, in the laboratory, any machine or device we would use would be calibrated probably weekly, if not daily, and is calibrated certainly mm-hmm. every single time we use data collection any of these devices that you're getting are calibrated probably once in the factory and then never again.
0: Mm, Good point.
1: And everything in my lab, it it comes, it starts to get off by 1%, 2% here. Right. So that's one of the major issues with them. The other major issue is uh, it's direct versus indirect measures. So if you come in my laboratory and we measure how many calories you're burning or something, right. Or whatever you want to do. That's because I'm putting a mask over your head and I'm collecting every single thing that you breathe in and out. Now, the watch isn't doing that. It's mm-hmm. trying to make an estimate off of an estimate off of something else's estimate. So, every time you take one step further away, you introduce possible error. Well, when you multiply that over hundreds of thousands of data points, that error starts to become fairly large. Um, so, it's a calibration issue. Uh, it's also, remember, Each individual company that makes a technology has to figure out, okay, so we're gonna make a watch that shoots an infrared light into your wrist and we're gonna time however long it takes for that infrared signal to come back to the watch. Okay, from there then we will make an equation that suggests this amount of time delay equals this amount of heart rate. Okay, great. Well, those are not standard known numbers, so each company has to figure that out for themselves, and they don't all have the same thing they're using. Uh, so it's not standardized to anything but besides what the individual company themselves decides to standardize to. And something like your HRV score, right, there is no official number that says if your HRV is 20, that means green. But if you're 28, that means yellow. And if you're 34, like, th- there's no numbers there. So each individual company has to make those numbers up. And they change those algorithms constantly. They send out wireless updates and so if something that was a yellow today might be a red tomorrow or vice versa
0: mm-hmm.
1: so um, because they 're just simply lacking the direct technologies and they can 't put all those things on a person and mis- and they 're not necessarily as calibrated, those are some of the many 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 challenges.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've probably got some listeners saying, "Damn it! Why did I get a Fit Fitbit? Why did I get my Apple Watch if it's just a waste?" Um, yeah. So so let's let's spin it for them and maybe give them some positive news. Uh, how do you? um how do you find the best ways that we can use some of these technologies are there certain products that you think are the best and if you're affiliated with any you know that's okay you can you can mention them on this on this podcast i don't care um but is there is there better ways that that maybe we can be using some of the technologies that we have so we can actually see some benefit in in our whether it be health or weight loss or whatever it is that that people are looking to achieve yeah
1: so i don't have any official
0: conflicts of interest to disclose okay
1: and uh, I have no, sorry, but I have no specific technology companies I'm about to give you. <laughs> it's because I, that is the wrong point. Um, that it, that is exactly what I want to steer you away from, because it's an it's a losing game. Any company that's doing something better or slightly better than another one, uh, they still have major problems.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For example. I could certainly tell you, hey, look across the literature at which Apple Watch, Fitbit, et cetera, or which one has the highest accuracy at measuring heart rate. Well, one of them is going to be 92%. One of them is going to be 88%. Who cares? Like, that's not the right question, right? Because mm-hmm. that doesn't really matter to you. You're not going to decide to buy one over. The right question, which is going to, instead of fighting over 2%, Let's fight over 95%, which is well. How are you using the data? Why are you collecting in the first place? What are you doing with it? That's so much more important. It's kind of like saying, "Hey, I need to lose 100 pounds. Um, Should I eat parsnips or sweet potatoes?" (laughs) Like like that—that's not the right question here. Like, sure, there is a difference. Yeah, but do you really want to talk about that? Like, let's talk about the fact you eat cupcakes for breakfast.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like, Like that's where we're at with these things, and so. I mean I could certainly talk about some of the benefits uh, to which there, there there's many of these technologies how to use them but that's my first answer to no I'm not going to give you any specific technology or company because it's it's the minor point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, completely actually. So then let's go let's go away from from the technology Um, I mean, you know, what did we do before we had technology? How did we, how did we, you know, really understand, um, understand our body. And I know this is something that you guys talk about in the book is to try to understand yourself and be more mindful of, of the way that you feel and and the way that you perform rather than relying on the technology. Can you sort of talk about that a little bit, um, and maybe introduce people back into how to, how to really understand themselves in order to improve their health or their performance rather than just looking at what their phone says.
1: Yeah. So if you want in the book, we do lay out a whole bunch of answers, sort of direct answers. Um, Specifically uh, we have a friend of ours who we were chatting with about the book and he got super excited and wanted to contribute. So in one of the final chapters, uh, Tim Ferriss, has his 10 or so, like, list of, of, of ways to integrate technology appropriately.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you can dive into that section if you want. So that stuff is in there. I don't want to feel like you're going to get a book with you know, no actual answers in it. So I'll speak more broadly right now because if you want a specific list, you can go there. But um, h- how to use these things? Well, the biggest key we have to figure out is, is your body is telling you more and you realize the problem is you're not listening because you're trying to get ex- information from an external place, your computer, etc., rather than listening to what your actual body says. So, how do we improve that system? Is really the question. Well, I, I think technology can aid you. Uh, let's take an example of uh, food. All right, and you're trying to figure out, um, you know, how do I feel in the morning when I eat this versus how do I feel in the morning when I eat that. So, you can use the technology. Uh, to say, track that down, and this technology could be a piece of paper and pen, and it says, Okay, you know for twenty days i 'm going to eat this in the morning, and for twenty days i 'm going to eat that in the morning, and every day before five minutes and two hours afterwards i 'm just going to write down a score of one to ten of how I feel, and then you can come back and look at those numbers at the end. That practice alone is going to make you just think about how you 're feeling for a couple of hours. Mm. Like That is the magic. The, the senses and signals you get are, are shockingly clear if you stop the external noise for a quick second. Uh, if you're not, every time, um, every time the, the, you have nothing to do for two seconds, you're not pulling up Twitter or opening up Instagram again and constantly bringing in more stimulus from the outside, you actually have a chance to listen to yourself from the inside because something is being screamed at you. Just It's being overwhelmed by Facebook mm-hmm. or Twitter. Uh, Training-wise, we talk about this all the time, if you're so concerned about filming every repetition or tracking everything you're doing in the gym and writing everything down and plugging it into your app and tracking the heart rate, at what point are you actually doing things like uh, mental feedback on the quality of the movement? That's gone, right? And so instead of thinking about like, man, I mean, when I was a kid and <laughs> when you were a kid, if, when you went to work out... You didn't have a cell phone. So what you did in between sets and in between repetitions is you sat there reflecting on what the hell just happened.
0: Absolutely.
1: Or thinking about what the hell is about to just happen. And that is, we see this in the literature and from um, practical experience. All of those mental repetitions make skill acquisition exponentially faster. But if you do your set and then go back and immediately just open up Twitter during your two minutes rest, all that time is being wasted. You're not improving any of your movement right there. Um, if you want to look at, again, like take this from a nutrition perspective, take it from a training perspective, we could give you example after example, but that's the stuff we're missing and we can use technology appropriately. So let's take the last example. You're trying to get better at a particular movement in the gym and you want to film uh, your, your, your movement. Okay, fantastic. You can go film it, Look at the video and be like, oh, okay, you know, my my, my foot's still going out to the right. It's still moving to the right every time I do that. Okay. Then put, put the phone down, spend a minute or two reflecting on that, and then going back. Because if you never go that second step, if you can never actually get to the step where you identify the flaw without the video, you never really have that thing mastered. You're 100% dependent upon the video to understand your movement, and you don't own that movement. You'll never be able to replicate that in a sport. You'll never be able to replicate that when you're tired. You'll never be able to replicate that at any time unless you have the video. And so if that helps you or helps you with your client specifically, right, um, they're trying to squat, and they, they keep routing their low back, and you keep telling them not to run their low back, and they say they're not, and they don't understand, and you show them a video, and they go, oh, that's a great use of technology. But if you have to show them a video every single time, they have now become dependent on that video. They're not independent. They haven't actually learned anything. You need to be able to progress from there to say, okay, can you identify? Did you feel what happened on that rep? Yeah, I felt like on my low back. Fantastic. Now can you correct it? No? Okay, maybe, I, maybe you have to go in there as a coach, manually, you know, put them back or give them a feedback system or show them a video again. A Couple of weeks, couple of months down the line. Now they can address and go, ah, dang, my, my low back got rounded there. Mm. I know what to do. I know to go back next set and my cue is to keep my hips tight or whatever. Like that's what we should be using technology to go for. So that to me is a perfect example of how we can integrate technology, take the advantages of it, but not succumb to the downside and use it to enhance self-awareness, not enhance self-dependence.
0: I love that, and you know what it, it, it works for so many areas too I, I focus on on weight loss with a lot of my clients and and before I, I work with them, many of them are, are wanting to count calories, count their macros every single True. day, and be super specific and, and try to track it um, and I just say, you know, do you want to do that for the rest of your life because you 're going to have no idea how to eat mindfully uh, and intuitively right. you know when that 's done, and this is a big reason why. A very high percentage of people, when they lose a substantial amount of weight through counting calories, they end up gaining it back plus more because they didn't actually learn the proper habits and and you know how to eat intuitively. And so, I do have some clients track their food, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not tracking the calories and stuff. It's just writing down the foods that they eat or putting it into an app. Uh, and actually, they do it in my Fitness Pal, and my Fitness Pal is just programmed to message them and say, "Oh, you've ate too many calories. or are not enough, or whatever." And so they, they often will come at me and tell me this. I'm like, just turn that part off. Don't worry about yep. that. The only thing I want Absolutely. you to, is to write it down. So you're aware of what you ate, but more than anything, how do you feel after you ate it? You know, totally. was it enough? Was it not enough? So, I mean, I, I completely agree on the nutrition side too, where you, you can kind of use it to track. Um, but only to an extent you want to be mindful of, of what it is that you're eating and, and just how you feel afterwards.
1: So there's some really cool technologies now, and they're not great, but um, they're moving quickly. And I would imagine in five years from now, they're going to be really, really good. There's several apps and several different things that you can use on your phone where you can simply take a picture of your plate, Mm
0: -hmm. and they
1: can get a pretty close estimation of macro, micro, and overall calories. So that's coming, and that's going to make people fat as shit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Absolutely,
1: it's going to help some people but it's going to cripple some people and for all those exact reasons that's it's another fantastic example of it, it sounds like a technology we're like oh my god that's going to solve the obesity epidemic well nope it's going to make some people worse
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's going to be a daily immediate reminder of how fat they are it's going to be a daily reminder of how big of a failure they are and how they're eating too many cups cow- and it's going to be terrible for some people and it's going to be a lifesaver for others so we, as, whether it's us, we're putting ourselves through that journey or whether it's us guiding people through the journey, we have to be very careful in thinking about how we integrate this. And if we're in a situation where, say, a client is, is really, really excited and they're super pumped and they want to track the calories, okay, great, that might get you a short win, as you alluded to. But are we building a system for them that is sustainable, that is a long-term play? It's mm. exactly what you were talking about. Or are we, are we putting them in a situation where they're probably going to fail really quickly? Absolutely. Well, like, we have to think through these things and, and not just um, – the, the other downside here is actually the bigger downside is because you and I come from a generation that didn't have these technologies. We had to figure out, well, okay, I know the physiology behind fat loss and nutrition, but I actually have to do it. So, like, we had to spend years and decades and take – hundreds of people actually get them to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. Well, with these types of technologies, you're gonna have a whole generation of coaches that are starting that have never actually had to figure out how to eat themselves.
0: Mm. So true. Because
1: they grew up on the tracker, right? So how the hell are we ever these people are gonna have a, a huge lack of skill set because they don't know how to actually ever help somebody in nutrition if they can't know exactly how many calories, macros, and micros in their, all their food. Mm. And, and that's the real problem. Coaches in the generation have to be really careful of becoming extremely reliant on these dependent or dependent reliant on these technologies for their own personal practice. Because what happens when the technology changes what happens when it's not working, if you don't have anything else you can go to, I mean, I know you can, and I can too. Like I can have an athlete, I've done this. I'm sure you have too. lose, you know, whatever amount of weight, With every technology in the world, I've used HRV, I've used O rings, I've used everything you can imagine. And I've also had them do it with nothing but, you know, weigh every day and text me your weight. Mm -hmm. Right. I can do it the way, but can the next generation? Well, we'll see.
0: Absolutely. And then the other question is, is when you're doing it that way, will that person continue to keep it off? Because I think a lot of people have this mindset of, I want to lose 80 pounds in the next six months. And they think that that's the goal, but the goal is not that. That's just the beginning. No. Now it's once it's Absolutely. off, can I keep that off? Can I maintain my weight um, and and stay lean? And if if you know you've been tracking and using all these devices, um, and you didn't build those habits, then you're probably not going to achieve that goal. It's not going to be sustainable for you. So did you really learn the right lessons? Um, and, yeah, and that's that's where it becomes this this difficult thing. And I see so many people wanting to track everything from steps to Calories to, you know, whatever. And I'm like, hey, just stop. (laughs) And trust me, it's not going to work. It's not, I mean, it it will work for sure for a little bit, but is it going to work long term? Likely not.
1: Yeah. Well, you actually brought up a sneaky, smart point there, which is uh, people, this is a common misconception. People think that uh, the science will show fat loss as being something that's very difficult to, to accomplish. And that's not actually true at all. The science shows that fat loss is super easy Mm -hmm. and extremely common, even for super uneducated people. It happens. What is terribly difficult and scientifically basically impossible is sustained new weight. Mm -hmm. That's what never happens. So when people say like diets don't work, they're missing understanding here. They almost always work for fat loss or weight loss immediately. But they almost never work for a sustained new weight. Mm -hmm. And that's the big problem. So you're totally right. And this is one of the reasons why is because we get there through practices that that don't help us. So I have an analogy that I use uh, when I'm trying to go through these um, with uh, professional athletes who I mostly work with. But it works the same with general population, which is uh, I, I call them either a cook or a baker or a chef. So if we think about this, uh, the most people don't understand, but the difference between cooking and baking, baking is a very specific science, it's chemistry, right? So you can't go bake a cake or bake anything and just be like, well, I'm going to throw in a little baking powder, here's some baking soda, Mm -hmm. here's some flour and some butter. Like you're going to have a pan of shit. (laughs) It's going to be a goopy mess of garbage, right?
0: done that before you, trying to make cookies
1: <laughs> right <laughs> really like, work. When you bake it's like like no half a cup of flour it's you know two teaspoons of this like it is a very specific combination and even if you're doing like biscuits or or things like the order in which you put things in has to be specific the wet ingredients first no the wet ingredients it's very detailed cooking is just like all right what's in the pan what's in the fridge okay put something in the pan put a hot put oil down throw it all in the pan like add cheese and avocado and hot sauce it's done all right like Everything can be cooked like that. Mm -hmm. So when I work with an individual, I'm trying to think, okay, do we need to get into baker level, which is exact calories, weigh and measure everything, very specific. You know, like I want you to eat six almonds with lunch, not eight, not five, six almonds. Or do we need to get the high level, which is, okay, let's have just a little bit more fat at lunch. Not much, just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Well, both of those things can work, and both of them do work, and it mostly depends on personality. If you take a baker, a very high-level detail person, and you don't give them enough detail, they tend to have anxiety because they don't like to have to make decisions. Like they want to know the plan, and they want to plan, and follow it, and that puts them at ease. If you do that with a, a cook, though, it, and you give them too much detail, it gives them anxiety because you're like, oh, my God, it's so hard. Like oh my it's so much work, I can't follow this. Like, oh my god, the detail. But what typically happens is people who don't spend any time trying to be a baker, they can be miscalibrated. And so if I tell one particular athlete, have a little bit more fat at lunch, you know, they might eat a half a jar of peanut butter.
0: Mm.
1: And now I'm like, oh god, (laughs) okay. I need to define what I mean by a little bit of fat to you. So what in my experience has been very sustainable is to start people off and spend anywhere between 30 and 60 days kind of being a baker Mm. and it's kind of annoying it's a lot of work but I need you to get really calibrated I need you to understand what 20 grams of protein looks like or what a half a cup of oatmeal is you know I I need you to see how many get enough a, a rough feel for you know uh a cup of pasta, is that three grams of sugar or is that 300 grams of sugar? Like, just give me ballparks here, right? So then you can look back here. You can start to learn, like, wow, well, wow, like, it's not that carbs make you fat, but I guess I didn't realize, like, probably 700 grams of carbs today when I didn't work out today was probably unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was eating that many carbs, though. Right? I have all my students do this, when I force them to track their diet for 60 days. And some of them get super pissed about it. But every single one will be like, man, I I didn't realize it. Like I was only eating 70 grams of protein a day or whatever, right? They all realize something because they're just not really calibrated to some of these numbers. Mm -hmm. But after that, then you start rolling them back into cooking mode. It's like, okay, some of them want to keep tracking for the rest of their life, but most people don't. And so what I typically have my athletes do is when they're in specific season, or they have a specific date that's close, say within six to eight weeks of competition. Within that six to eight window, we roll back into baker mode. But as soon as that competition's over, we go back into cooking mode. And so they know like, okay, I gotta tighten things down, I gotta dial stuff in for the next five or six weeks. then after that, I go back to what I call cooking, most people call intuitive eating, it's like, okay, let's eat conceptually. We're mindful of our food, but we're not going to be you know, like overly nuts with it. And that, I have found, has been, is extremely sustainable for most people because they're building that skill set of they can still succeed intuitively. But, hey, when we have to get really dialed for something, we can't go back into that mode. And you typically don't have to go as crazy detail after the second or third time
0: mm-hmm. because
1: you start to immediately go like, like, I know how many grams of carbs are in a banana. I don't need to go track that anymore. Like I get it. I know it's in an apple. Okay. I know what's in here. Oh, I'm going to eat beets. I haven't eaten beets in a while. I better look that one up real fast. Oh, okay. Roughly here. Great. And it and, and really becomes not much work, but you don't want to do that your whole life. And so that's what I found. I don't know if that'll work for you or any of your people. My point is exactly. It's finding a system that can work long term, where it doesn't control our lives. It doesn't ruin our lives. And, and that we can stay where we're at. So we've got to find those systems and technologies can play a part in that, but it can't be the end game. It shouldn't be the end game.
0: Yeah, I, I love that analogy. And and you know, it, it really is. I mean, you can go either side, but it, it's also just about experimenting, right? I mean, everyone is different. Okay. We're all unique. We all are going to react differently um so you got to find what what works for you and so if it's more on the baker side it's more on the cooking side or somewhere in between yes um then you know you got to you got to find that and that's same with like with technology like with the aura ring um you know when i use it i just use it so that i can kind of experiment and play around and go okay well let's try eating you know right before bed let's see what this does right and does it make a difference or not you know who knows and it doesn't just because it's one time doesn't actually tell you anything specific because it's only one time Um, but it gives you something to kind of play around with and just experiment. And then you just kind of journal along with it and see how you feel, compare that with the data that it gives you. And, and and that's the whole point is, is if you're trying to improve your health, you're trying to change your weight, you know, you got to experiment and figure out what, what works for you because it's going to be different than, than the next person. Um, but, uh, I, I love that analogy. I think that's great. And it's, it's very similar to what I do too, is, you know, for someone who's trying to change their body or change their health you know, you've got to really dial in until you get to that point of yes. change. And then yes. maybe once you've reached your goal, then you don't have to be as dialed in. You can try to intuitively, um, you know, move through the process afterwards. But, you know, to get to that change, you're going to, have to, you're going to have to do some things you may not want to do, which may be tracking and counting and, uh, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing. But knowing once you yeah. get to that point, then it can be easier for you. And you just got to focus on, on doing it intuitively.
1: Um, Another. Another way to get that, though, too, is if you heard that and you're like, oh, my God, I've tried it before and it just kills me. Okay, well, probably you need to suck it up and just do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if it's really like, no, I've tried it five times, it's failed every time. Okay, maybe a sixth time isn't going to change it.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, what you can do in that particular case is just make one small, very easy change. Yes whatever that happens to be, right? So you're like, I'm not gonna track and count everything. Uh, I'm gonna give you, and this would be somebody who I'm starting off in a baker approach or a cooking approach, right? And so I'd say, okay, you know what? Here's the one thing. Uh, I'm gonna give you one rule and follow that rule for three weeks and then come back. And then whatever that rule is, uh, maybe the rule is once you eat a fresh, fresh piece of vegetable every time you eat, or that one rule is make sure you have some protein at every meal or, or like whatever, Whatever you look at that person's diet and go, okay, like I think this is going to make the biggest change. But like, there is no breaking the rule. Here's the deal. like you, you will not break the rule and come back in three weeks. So you come back in three weeks and nothing's changed. Okay, now we're going to add rule two. So this plus this. And you slowly start peppering things in, which is like, I don't care um, what you do, but you're going to always do this or never do this. And I tend to like... Almost always starting with positives, negatives. Yeah. So I don't like say like a hey, rule number one, no fill in the blank. Rule number two, no fill in the blank. I start with rule well, number one. Make sure you do this. Mm-hmm. Get this in. Get this in. Get this in. As opposed to like restrictions. So that can work too for those people who are like, I've tried tracking. And it's if you've never tried it, start there. If you tried it once and failed, suck it up. Start. Do it again. But if it's legit four or five, six times, you're like, all right, let's try a different approach. That can work as well. But the point is either way you have to start figuring out um, like what, what's the system that works for you mm-hmm. that can handle their technology can or cannot be a part of that equation. I, I, don't, think, well, I don't think it's pretty clearly it's a tool, uh, regardless of which one you want to ask me about, they're all just different tools. And we have a thousand ways. Uh, to cut a piece of wood, find one that you like.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you for the advice, Andy. And for the sake of time, here we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to jump off. I'd love to just keep t- talking for for hours on end and, and keep picking your brain, but uh, you know we've we've got busy lives here, so unfortunately uh, we don't have that uh, that ability today. Um, so Andy, first, uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more uh, about your research and about the things you're doing? Where do we find you uh, on the interwebs?
1: Yeah, social medias Instagram, Twitter, Andy Galpin's pretty easy to track down on those things. You can also head to my website, andygalpin.com, or YouTube page. I effectively am pretty close, but I'm taking as much as I can of my university education. So all of my class lectures from my nutrition classes, ex strength, conditioning, and I'm putting them all up on my YouTube page and website for free. So you can basically get your entire undergrad education for me (laughs) on there if if you would like to choose to do so. So there's, I don't even know, 50 or 60 hours or something up already. So uh, that's all up. And we'll always be up and there's no newsletter to sign up for. There's no, there's not even anything to upsell you. It's just free information. So,
0: <laughs> it's just there. So just I don't even for- have
1: like, there's a Patreon account you can contribute to if you want, but there's nothing to buy. Um, I don't even have the book links up there. So you have to go somewhere separate for the book. But <laughs> I, don't give, I don't give a shit if you buy the book. I really don't. Uh,
0: <laughs> That's amazing. I'll put the links for the book anyway, in case anyone does want to buy it <laughs> yeah. and I'll throw the links for, for your social media too. Now, I don't know if you have one more minute that I can ask you one final sure. question. Um, so yeah. it's a question I ask all the guests at the end uh, that come on my show that um, you've been on a health journey for, for quite some time. And, and, you know, you take the next level by, by, you know, going through uh, a ton of education if you were to to go back to the very beginning when you were just starting out your health journey, so you lost all the, the knowledge that you currently know now, what would be the one piece of advice you would want to tell yourself if you were just starting out based off what you know now?
1: So am I at my current age or am I at the age I was then?
0: Ooh, good question. Um, we'll say you're you're, uh, you're at your earlier age.
1: Okay, so I probably started strength training when I was – Eleven or twelve. Okay. So I don't know what advice <laughs> I <I'll> give my <laughs> eleven-year-old self.
0: Um, Let's go just a general age then. It doesn't have to be specific to age.
1: You know, I, I think one thing that all of us, once you've put in probably a decade or more, and/or you're past the age of say twenty-eight, I mean, I think you'll have one resounding. Thing that comes up, which is injuries,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and certainly I wish that uh, I would have taken maybe a bit more care of a few of them. But that's a tough one, honestly, because I didn't really have any options. I mean, again, when we were kind of coming up, there was no YouTube. There was there wasn't people putting up entire university classes online for free.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, like so, I mean, I certainly I was concerned with them when they happened, but I, I, there was no. Like I couldn't go to seminars, just, so I did the best I could. Obviously, no information, more information now, but uh, that would be that would be the one thing is I, I wish some things didn't hurt as much as they do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, that, that kind of uh, sucks, that. but but I don't know what I could have done about them, so. It's sort of a bad answer, I guess. <laughs>
0: That's okay. I think it's important. I mean, you know, obviously if, if you're injured and you're not taking care of it, well it's gonna be difficult to to keep moving, especially in old age. So uh, it's definitely an area that, that we all need to, to keep focus on. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. I really appreciate the information that, that you shared and, and just this discussion. So, uh, you know, it's really cool to, to get on a, a, a call together when, when I'm in Bali and you're in California. So technology can be a great thing, as you, as you mentioned, um, but hopefully everyone has learned, you know, its limitations when it comes to health. Uh, but again, Andy, thank you so much for, for joining us here. That's a wrap, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you could do me a wonderful favor by taking a screenshot and sharing it with your friends on social media. Feel free to tag me at healthsimple underscore and let me know your thoughts. And if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me a DM as well. I would love to hear from you. I hope you guys all have a wonderful day.